Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here, isn't it, to come and worship and praise and come under God's word. It's nice to have one day a week, isn't it, that we can, we can come and do this away without having to worry about work. But every day we should be under God. Every day we should be under his word. And Psalm 19, it tells us that creation tells us about God. It speaks about him. And I'm going to read the first few verses from Psalm 19. And that will lead us into our, our first song. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So even though we come here on a Sunday to worship God and to be under his word, actually every day, When the sun rises, it's telling us about the glory of God. The stars at night are speaking of his handiwork. So we're never very far away from God's word. And our first song is, Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day. going to um, turn and read God's word and we have two parts that we're going to read this morning and our first place is in 2 Kings and chapter 8 and if you have a church bible that's on page 314. So 2 Kings chapter 8 and we're reading verses 1 to 6 as we carry on in our series um, on Elisha. Elisha. 
Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise, and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the women returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. And our second reading is in the book of Joel. So Joel chapter 2, verses 21 to 34, which is on page 762 if you have a chapel Bible. And we've got lots going on in in this part of God's word in Joel, but... The thing we need to understand is that in Old Testament times, it was a sign of God's judgment when rain was, was, was taken away. So when rain was withheld, it was when people had left following God. But when people returned to following God, when they said sorry for what they had done wrong, he restored the rain to them. And this is what's going on in this passage. So Joel 2 and verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the tree bears fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. At this point I'm going to hand over to John.
So I'm sorry children, I've grabbed your children's talk slot this morning to make an announcement, but it's a good one for you as well, so uh, I hope you'll bear with me. And it is uh, good news that I want to pass on this morning following our church meeting this last week, and that is that the, the church has, by overwhelming majority, agreed to ask Mark Philpot to extend his hours with the church to full time, and also for him to increasingly take up the role of assistant pastor amongst us. And uh, thankfully Mark is willing to do both those things and it will take effect uh, after the summer. And I think we can feel very thankful to God for this development, uh, for his provision for us as a church, for the unity that the church felt in this move and development And I personally feel tremendously relieved, uh, pleased and thankful. Um, You'll know that uh, since Cy Hook, Simon Hook, uh, left for Coventry um, over three years ago, we've been looking hard and praying through and exploring having uh, another assistant pastor as a, a church in that time. Mark has been a youth worker and he's increasingly helped in our services uh, and he's been very useful in being appointed as an elder amongst us as well in that time. And uh, there's so much which I personally feel, and I'm sure many of you feel thankful for, about Mark's attitude to service, the way he's been used, his character and his usefulness amongst us. Well, over this last year or so, it's become uh, plainer that Mark would be well-placed to serve the church more in uh, aspects of pastoral work and ministry and so he's been appointed as an assistant pastor. Now I was already working many hours for the church so the extra time that they have available uh, to take up the extra responsibilities will be modest and we need to recognise that. Um, and he also will need a clear day off, which we must uh, respect, in uh, at least a clear day off in relation to the creation pattern. And he also will be carrying on um, uh, with his current youth responsibilities. Uh, but as time goes on, we're hoping that others may, ab- may be able to, to um, help relieve Mark of some of those uh, youth responsibilities so that he can become increasingly involved with the more general pastoral work and ministry of the church. Now, going full-time, uh, let me tell you, going full-time for, for the church is a significant change in life. So d- do pray for Mark as he approaches uh, this change. Uh, pray for God's help and wisdom for Mark going forward for us all as a church. But also this morning, do give thanks for God's wonderful provision which we can really rejoice in as a church and congregation. So shall we pray in response to that news now? Lord, we do come with heartfelt praise this morning for your kindness, your provision, for leading us as a church, for providing this extra uh, ministry support. We thank you for the way you have helped Mark in his service amongst us uh, over the years, for how useful he's been in the many things that he has been involved with. And we thank you for the way it's become plain in, in 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 recent months or last year or so, that this is so obviously what uh, is the right thing for us as a church at this stage. We praise you for your provision because it's um, it's been a tax in few years as we've explored what is right in going forward after Cy moved on. We do pray that you will help Mark as he takes up this responsibility and thinks of taking it up more fully. We pray that you would give him strength. We pray that you would give him wisdom. We pray that you would give him enthusiasm. We pray that you would give him love. We pray that you would continue to give him all these things which you have uh, given to him already. Uh, A gospel-heartedness, a sensitivity, a concern to be faithful to your truth and a desire to honour you and to be a blessing to others. 
We pray that you'd help him as he thinks through the uh, way in which it might work out in his life generally, as he thinks of the balance of responsibilities and how to work things through with new roles and yet the other aspects of life as well, particularly as he moves to full time. We pray that you would help him to sense what is the right things to concentrate on, the right thing to prioritise. We pray you would help him in his life. We pray that you would help him in his teaching. We pray that you would help him in the different aspects of leadership he's involved. We pray you would give him wisdom as he gets alongside others. We give thanks uh, for us as a church and for the way in which there's been such a one-mindedness over this issue. And we pray that you would continue to lead us and bless us as a church over coming months and years. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, John. We're going to turn to our next hymn, which is Come, O Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Your Grace. And do we look to God as being the source of everything good that comes into our lives and respond to him with thankfulness? Let's stand and sing as the music leads us. Before we pray, we're going to have another Bible reading, and we're going to read Psalm 126. Psalm 126, which is found on page 517 in the Chapel Bibles. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's turn to our God in prayer. Let's bow our heads and our hearts as we speak to God. Almighty God, our our Father and our Creator, we pray that you would help us now as we come to you in prayer. We pray that you would 
Give us the spirit of prayer. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be helping us as we pray to you. And he would be helping us as we worship you. And he would be helping us as we praise you. We ask that you would put any distracting thoughts out of our minds. And may we be focused on who we are coming to. Lord, we think back to your creation and its perfection. And we realised what sin has done to it. But we thank you that you're a God who wants to restore. Lord, you're a God who is going to bring in a new creation. You're a God who is going to deal with the sin that started back in the Garden of Eden and is so evident in our lives and in the world today. We thank you for your willingness to want to restore it. We thank you for the way that you're going to do that. We thank you for the way the Lord Jesus, your son, was willing to leave the perfection and the glory and the place that he had in heaven above and to humble himself as a human and to come down and to die and to take the punishment for all those that would believe and trust that he has taken it for them in their lives. We thank you as those who know you as our saviour for what you have done for us. We thank you for those evidences that we saw while you were here on this earth, that you are the Son of God, and that you have the power to give life, and you have the power to restore this creation to the new creation. We pray for any who do not know you. We pray that you would be gracious and merciful to them. We pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin. We ask that they, would, that they would take that promise that we read, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're so thankful that it is a whoever, that it applies to anyone who calls, and it's not specific to name, to age, to race, to anything, but just having that belief and trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are a giver of many good things. And as we have just sung, you are the source of many, many blessings. We ask that you would give us thankful hearts as we go through our daily lives. Lord, you do give us many good things. Lord, we ask that if any is struggling at this moment, we pray that they would come and cast their cares upon you. Lord, knowing that you have lived as a human, knowing that you have been affected by emotions as a human. We pray that they would look to you for comfort, for help, for dependence on you. Lord, we remember those who have falls or are recovering from surgery and we ask that you would be with them in the recovery process. We thank you for our NHS. We thank you for what you've given us here in this country. We remember that around the world... There are many who have not had that provision given to them, and we pray for them. We think especially in, of the earthquake in Afghanistan, where the hospitals just can't cope with those who are injured. Lord, we ask that you would help them. Lord, we pray that in that troubled country, Lord, you would bring good, that you would bring a turning of people to you. We pray for those who know you, and that under persecution, we pray that they would be getting their strength from you. Lord God, as we return to home, we remember Harriet and we remember the young family. And we ask that you would continue to be with them at this difficult time. We ask that they would feel your peace. That they would feel your strength and comfort. Especially for this coming week. Help them in all they have to go through. And be with them as this week passes and time goes on. Lord, we're told, aren't we, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we thank you for uh, the wedding of Joel and Joanna. And we thank you for the blessing that yesterday was. The way that you were so evidently present. And the way that everything went so smoothly and was such a happy day. But we ask that you would continue to be with them as they start their marriage life together. And we pray that you would bless them throughout their marriage life. And we pray that they would stay close to you 
in the ups and the downs of life. Father God, once again we want to thank you for your word. And we thank you for the opportunities that we've had this past week. Whether it's in the Sunday school, in Rooted. Lord, whether that's in Bible studies, conversations with neighbours or work colleagues or family. Whether it's through the Hope Explored, we pray that as that seed has gone out, that it would take a good root in people's lives. We pray that Satan would not take away what you have sown. And we pray that we would see people added to your kingdom, bringing glory and praise to your name. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honoured through that. Again, we commit John and Mark to you. We look at the leadership of our country. Lord, and we cringe. We pray for them because we know that you are involved in them becoming our leaders. We pray for them because we are told to pray for them. We ask that they would look to you for wisdom. We ask that they would look to your word in their lives. And we ask because you are a God who can change lives. Uh, We are encouraged by seeing the way Nebuchadnezzar changed, the way Manasseh changed, those kings in the Old Testament. And we ask that our government would change to follow in you. But we pray that you would be with Mark and John. And we ask that you would be with them. We ask you would help them as they study your word, as they bring your word to us on a week-by-week basis. We pray that you would hedge them around as you hedge Job around. You would protect them from the devil and from Satan and his attacks. Lord, we ask that they would be a real example to us as they lead us. And Lord God, as we come again under your word, we pray that you would be with John. And we pray the Holy Spirit would bring your word and would affect our lives. We pray we would not just be passive hearers, but we would be listeners whose lives change through your work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our third, our third song, our third hymn is actually really a prayer. And the first verse is a prayer, and then there's a response in the second verse, and then we have a restorative prayer in the third verse. And I'm going to read that third verse help. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Let's stand as we're we're led.
Well, we carry on then with our series in two kings on the life of Elisha. So we're on page 314, if you've got church Bibles open. In some ways, it's the the lull before the storm. Um, The plateau before uh, the steep descent. Um, The pattern is generally downward in the life of Israel. Uh, They will be experiencing God's justice because of their turning away from him. But this justice, in in many ways, is such a long time coming. We've seen so many examples of God's kindness, despite the sort of overall situation being so bad. Next week, we, we will start to get to the time where judgment starts to kick in more seriously. There'll be a mood change, really, from next week onwards. But this week, we have one more, even one more episode of God's wonderful kindness on the scene in Elisha's time. And I think it is uh, an episode which is tailored to give hope to his wayward people. And it is a wonderful example to us of God's restoring kindness, which will give us hope. I called it the God who restores. And the restoring kindness of God does come through these few verses. We're only taking a few verses. Um, as the last week, Mark had a gigantic chunk to, to deal with. Uh, this week, we've just got six verses that we can take things through slowly. But you'll notice the word restore comes up in them. So if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see there in verse uh, 1, restored. Uh, verse um, 5, and so a couple of times, verse Six, the word comes up, the restoring kindness of God. God can give back what has been lost. God can mend. God can put back on track. The picture there is of HMS Victory being restored a few years ago and you, you see what's happening. One side is restored, one side isn't. Being, it's being restored to its former glory and God is involved with restoration projects. His restoration projects are with people and groups of people. So there was a message of hope here for those who were reading it in the first place and there is a message of hope for us. We're going to follow through what happens first, so I'm going to sort of recount the the story, and then we're going to um, we're going to we're going to look we could draw from it some of the lessons for us for our situation and today. Well, the events involve um, the woman from Shunem. Um, She was. uh, Somebody who uh, was on the scene a few chapters ago. Uh, do you remember the, the roller coaster chapter we had? Chapter 4. Um, she had a very supportive husband and they were very uh, kind to Elijah, Elisha. They gave him a, a room on their house. And she's blessed with a son. And then you have that uh, puzzling situation, distressing situation of the son uh, dying while he was young. Uh, Elisha performs the miracle and is wonderfully restored to life. And she is the lady in the frame here. She's introduced in this way. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son had, he had restored to life. And immediately you're reminded of God's restoring uh, ministry through Elisha the prophet. God is still concerned for this lady. Remember, we did t- talk about Stuart Little's house in between two skyscrapers and, and God's concern for individual small situations despite what's happening internationally. We've got another example of that here in these few verses that we're looking at this morning. A famine is about to come on to the land. It's more general than the famine we learned about last week and probably was at an earlier stage. And this lady gets a personal message from Elisha. See that in verse 1. Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and so it will come on the land for seven years. So she leaves home 
and she heads to Philistine country. That's uh, southeast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's probably that way if you're looking at it. It's, uh, the Gaza Strip is sometimes in the news. That's sort of the area where the Philistines were. It may ring alarm bells to some of you in the Bible because the Philistines were often seen as the enemies of uh, the Old Testament people of God. But I think here it's just a sensible location for her to go to because it's not far, it's poised very close to Egypt, which was the, the breadbasket of the ancient world. So she escapes the famine by going into that area. Well, seven years later, and the famine is finished... And she makes tracks back to Israel. In the meantime, her land has been grabbed, had been taken over by others, perhaps by the king himself. His parents were rather keen land grabbers, as we have heard in the past. So perhaps it was them, perhaps it was the king. So the poor woman comes back uh, homeless, She's uh, lost the land that she might uh, grow produce on. And there's no talk of her husband, so perhaps in these intervening years, uh, he has passed away. And the prospects for this lady, they look pretty bleak, don't they? They look pretty bleak. Uh, She looks for justice to do with her land. But you really wonder how how much a sort of lowly lady of her situation is... uh, how successful she's going to be in her claims. Meanwhile, back at the king's house in Samaria, and the king is talking to Gehazi. That's uh, Elisha's servant. We're probably not going in chronological order here. The Bible's not always in chronological order, so this was, may well have been before Gehazi got leprosy. And so the king is talking to Gehazi, And it's interesting to see what they are talking about. Verse 4. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. The king wants to hear what Elisha's been doing. He's heard some of the tremendous stories that there have been in Elisha's uh, life and uh, it's been quite a catalogue and Elisha's servant is here so uh, the king seizes his chance and he wants a rundown of all these dramatic events which have been seen and Gehazi gets to the point about the Shunammite woman's son being restored to life and would you believe it that very moment that lady comes into the king's residence or palace Walking with her son. Well, Gehazi is nearly beside himself. Verse 5. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Now, I'm not sure, are you, that the king would have given the time of day to this lady who came with her appeal. But seeing that she is the key person in Elisha's story about the son being restored to life, he's become sympathetic to her situation. In fact, he becomes truly generous by the standards of a son of Jezebel, And he not only gives her her land, but he makes this pronouncement. Even even bad kings can have a soft spot sometime. Verse 6. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. Restores her home, restores her land, restores her income. 
Imagine you get good news from the inland revenue. It's not often good news from the inland revenue, but you get something through. And you've been paying a a higher uh, level of tax than you should have gone, and that's being rectified, so your income level will be much better. But not only that, the inland revenue say it's been happening for seven years, and you are going to get seven years back pay of the overpay of tax. Well, that is a good day, isn't it? That is a good day. Seven years' worth. And that's what this lady hears as she's going to be restored the land, the produce over those seven years. It may have been quite modest given the the, the conditions of the time, but nevertheless, seven years is going to be given back to her. Well, it's a great little account, isn't it? And what are the lessons? This is what I've been thinking of through the week. What's God's intention in these events happening, true events, but then in writing them down for those who originally read them and then for us today? Well, in the end, I settled on, on four lessons I wanted to bring out. Um, and I'm majoring a bit more on the last one, which I think is, is to me the main theme, hence the title. So let's go through um, some wonderful things to notice, really, from this, this, this account. The first is the sparing message of God, the sparing message, the message that spares. So this lady was spared, seven years ago, the hardship of famine. God, in his kindness, warned her so that she could flee to a place of safety. That was kind, wasn't it? Uh, The famine, as we've been reminded, was a, a judgment of God on the nation. That's the way it worked in Old Testament times. And, uh, she's spared that judgment that is coming on Israel by being told to to head off elsewhere to to more fruitful patches and she heads to the Philistines. God had warned the whole nation that it was heading uh, for judgment and yet we see in this little account there are still sometimes roots out of the judgment that is ahead. It made me think, uh, I saw one while I was on holiday, you've seen them around perhaps, I don't think they're used much these days. Perhaps they had a, a function at some point. But sometimes when you, when you travel down a really steep hill, um, you would find that it says, I can't remember the name of them, but that you, a big soft verge area of gravel on the left as you get to the bottom. And, and it's, it's, it's a place for lorries whose brakes are failing as they come hurtling down the hill, heading for the roundabout. And on the left, there is a sort of runoff where they can head into sort of soft, gravelly stuff and just allow themselves to get a point of safety rather than hurtling into the traffic at the bottom of the hill. And for us, there is judgment ahead because we've done wrong, the Bible says. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ but God in his kindness has provided a runoff, an escape route, a place to avoid devastation. And that is through Jesus. A life careering uncontrollably can come to a point of safety through Christ. In Hebrews it talks about fleeing for refuge to Jesus. Jesus is the place of safety we can go to to avoid the judgment of God. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the place of safety. By his life, by his death on the cross, he takes away sin and you can be relieved of judgment which would be due to you by putting your trust in him. Have you heard of that kind message of warning? Have you responded to that kind message of warning and found the place of safety, not in Philistine territory, but in Christ? The sparing message of God from the first couple of verses. We also have the fascinating stories of God. The fascinating stories of God. Now, maybe maybe you like stories. True stories. And some people seem to live exciting lives, don't they? 
and they have lots to tell people. And maybe you've got friends or you've got relatives like that. They're a little bit the life and soul of the party, but they're always they've travelled and they've always got stories to tell and they put them in interesting ways and they're good company. You love to hear the stories that they pass on. Well, the king here was in for some stories. And he had Gehazi to tell him all the things that God had done through Elisha the prophet. And there was a lot to pass on. Uh, one book that I've been sort of reading alongside about Elisha, it, it um, lists them through the different chapters and gets up to 17 miracles of Elisha. Well, I don't know if you'd include them all as miracles, but there are a lot. So, the king is hearing a lot And you think of some of the ones we've come across, the way he passes through uh, Jordan, the way in which waters are made sweet, uh, the way in which the stew is sort of detoxicated, the way in which Naaman is healed, you've got the floating axe head, you've got lots and lots of miracles. So he was in for quite a hearing, the king, wasn't he? And he had Gehazi, the servant, to tell him these things. Now imagine it wasn't me here this morning, but um, we got, the speaker this morning was, was Gehazi, Elijah's servant. And he was going to go through and tell you what happened in Elisha's day. Well, that would be quite something, and you'd have made a special effort to be here. And, and she was to bring her son, because her son came with him as well, and they would talk about the accounts and what they'd seen uh, Elisha do. That would have been quite something to hear. But the king, despite wanting to hear these, enjoying hearing these, doesn't seem to have a major change. He's he's generally a bad king, is the way he's described. And there's no major deviation to that as we go downwards. So he hears the stories, but doesn't seem to really deeply lastingly impact his life. And, And maybe you've heard stories of God's work. Maybe you've heard, uh, we call them testimonies or stories where you've been to maybe the men's event or a women's event or other situations. People have told you what God has done in their lives. It's been fascinating. Grouping stuff, maybe. More than that, you've heard explained the miracles of Jesus, much more than 17 of them. And you've heard them taught and explained. And maybe it's all new to you. You think, oh, tell me more. Just These, these accounts are just, uh, there's something different about them. I love hearing of them. Well, that's good, but does it go beyond fascination? How did that happen? How did he do that? Yeah, has it brought you to repentance? Are you just charmed by the stories or are you changed by the stories? Is it just curiosity or is there conviction? Is it just fascination or is there faith? Are you a bit too much like King Jehoram or has it led to heart change? The fascinating stories of God. But as we carry on through, we get a, I think this must have struck you as we read the account, the timely providence of God. The timely providence of God. God is in overall control of the details of our lives. That's sometimes puzzling. But sometimes it's a reason for obvious thankfulness. And here is one episode for obvious thankfulness, isn't there? It's just at the moment when Gehazi is describing what happened to this lady that the lady rolls up and walks in and presents her case. It couldn't have been timed better. It's a wonderful, wonderful account. And this sort of thing is called God's providence, or a particular illustration of God's providence. 
God's ordering of all events as a sovereign God, uh, an unseen hand achieving his purposes, comes out really fully in the book of Esther where there's so many things happening, you see God's timing of things. And it's sometimes something you see in your lives, isn't it? Things happening just at the right time. Might be Bible verses or readings coming just at a significant moment. I know we can overread into things and we can obsess over things, but we can also sadly overlook God's clear working. Hey, you probably think of things. I was thinking of it this week of different episodes in my life and there was another little thing yesterday which really struck me, but it's perhaps a bit personal, I won't go into it now, but it was a lovely example of God's timing. And it also made me think back um, to a time when I was in the sixth form um, here at Beacon, and it was on my heart to, um, I was encouraged by somebody else, and it came on my heart to start a, um, a, a, a sort of Christian union or a Bible study for uh, years seven and eight. Years seven and eight then were at the Green Lane site, not the sixth form site. That was the Green Lane site. It was for years seven and eight in those days. And um, um, I was thinking about whether I go down and do a lunchtime group for them to just pass on the, the message of the gospel. Well, it was a big thing because I was a, a timid little fellow, but it seemed the right thing to pursue. Um, so I went down to see the head of sixth form down there. It was a, a chap named Mr. Hepworth. And I went down uh, uh, Friday lunchtime and he was away, he was ill so I couldn't see him. Um, and so I went down again on the Monday to try and see him and uh, he said, well if you'd have come last week I'd have had to say no because uh, uh, the staff are, are not doing any lunchtime coverage or activity because of the union's work. But there's been a meeting over the weekend which have changed things, which means it might now be possible. Well, I, I wouldn't have known that was happening over the weekend, so I wouldn't have gone again if I'd seen him on Friday. But it did become possible, and uh, a group was launched, and over the, the course of the weeks and months that followed, a good number of Year 7 and 8 students heard things from the Bible. It was a wonderful example to me of the timely providence of God. And perhaps as I've just said that, it's making you think of similar things in your own life. It's heartening and encouraging to see God at work like that. It's lovely to see it in this scene with this lady in the time she comes. The timely providence of God. But the last lesson, the main lesson, what's happened there, Richard? Oh, good, thank you. Is the restoring grace of God. Comes out a bit in verse 1 and a bit in verse 6. I think this was encouraging for the original readers. I will bring that in, but it's encouraging for us as well. That God restores and brings back. God gives things back. And there are different ones that come up here. God gives back life. And that amazing miracle which is referred back to here for the lady's son, verse 1, being restored to life. And God does give life back to people in a spiritual way. Jesus is said of him, or he says, John 5, verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. You he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins, it says elsewhere in the Bible. New life the dead receive. People come to spiritual life. The relationship with God which uh, we should have we would have originally had, is restored to us as we are given life. God is a, a God who restores the restoring grace of God. And maybe you have experienced that. You've been given spiritual life and you praise God for it. God restores so often when people make a, a mess of things in this life when we make bad decisions, when we go against God, when we suffer the consequences. 
like with this lady, sometimes God gives back which has been lost over the years. So we read that uh, those verses in, in Joel, a lot in them as Martin said, but particularly wanted to pick something out. So the locust plagues had come into um, Israel uh, as a result of them ignoring God. It had led to damage and, and difficulty as locust plagues do and did in those days. Uh, and we maybe sometimes can relate to our life ended up in a situation of mess and difficulty because of bad decisions and the way it's affected us, we suffered the consequences. And then you come to Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, and it made me link this with the account we read, where God says, so graciously, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will bless you with back pay. You made a mess of things. There were bad consequences. But I'm going to restore to you in such a way as almost to, to make up for the mess you've made of things. Well, we can't say that God always does that with the consequences in our life. Uh, many we live with and have struggle with over the years. But he sometimes does. Sometimes it's as if God goes overboard with restoring and makes up for so much of the mess we've made in the past. We had a, a men's uh, event and barbecue. I've forgotten the name of the speaker, actually. I'm, I'm, sorry? Tom McDowell spoke to us. And that was a lovely illustration of this because, sadly, in his life, he, he, he squandered privileges. Um, he'd made bad decisions. Uh, life had become uh, in a mess. It resulted in the breakdown of his marriage. And then he was converted. And, and also, in God's kindness, his marriage was restored. Not always like that, but it was a wonderful act of God's kindness. It was restoration with back pay. Restoration with back pay. The woman got her seven years back. And God sometimes restores the lost years. Uh, Does that appeal to you this morning? Isn't that just what you long for? When you feel the sadness of the mess you've made of things? But you can come to a God who restores and so kindly sometimes does it with back pay. Well, as I said, so much of the difficulty in our life does carry on. We live in a broken world, uh, a fallen world as we say. And so this just as this last little point I want to bring in. Gives back inheritance. Gives back inheritance. Israel was about to lose their land. They would forfeit their land. And their land was seen as their inheritance. The land would be given to them, would belong to them. And I think this, this, little, act, this little action of God that we, we've just been reading about this morning must have given tremendous hope for them in the future. You know, I wonder if why this is the last act of kindness, because it gives such a specific message of hope to them in the decades and centuries ahead. They were going to forfeit their, their land, their inheritance. And here you have God giving a picture of him restoring inheritance to this lady. Something had been taken away with her, which is given back to her, her inheritance her land. It must have been a big encouragement for God's people in exile who would have been the first readers of Kings when it was completed and put together all these accounts. I think it's an encouragement for us, not just those who were in exile. Um, There's a famous book or poem, I remember the title, I've never read it, so I'm not endorsing the whole of the thing, but there's a book called Paradise Lost 
poem by Paradise Lost, John Milton. And this phrase is a, a good picture of humanity, really. The paradise of our original creation that we made for has been lost. And in many ways would have been lost forever. Paradise, lost. Inheritance, lost. Land of beauty, lost. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is restored for believers. Believers have what they call an inheritance, or what the Bible calls an inheritance. It's a theme that comes up in the teaching of Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The inheritance theme is there. And as this lady got given back the inheritance she'd lost, so God is a God who, through Christ, for believers, gives back the paradise that we have forfeited and lost. It's wonderfully described, and this is the last verse we'll look at, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. So reason to praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that is the sort of crowning glory of God's restoring grace, that for people who've messed up, but who come to Christ in repentance and faith, look forward to restoration of paradise, restoration of the lost inheritance because of the wonderful provision of a gracious God. So, six verses, we've read through them quickly, but as we slowly go through them, it does shine brightly, doesn't it? With the restoring grace of God. And that leads us into our last song this morning. song that reminds us of Jesus' love for us. Jesus, lover of my soul. And there are different things in this song which will pick up the, the place of refuge that we have in Christ and then of the final safety we have. So shall we sing to the praise of God, Jesus, lover of my soul.
Lord, we thank you that we have read this wonderful little account in your word of what happened. Uh, We thank you for the way it's just cheered our heart to see such a, a magnificent example of your grace. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to heed the warnings we have and to go to Christ. Keep us from just being fascinated by stories, but without them impacting us. Lord, we pray that we might be alert to your timing in our lives and be thankful for where your providence has been such an obvious blessing. And especially we pray that our heart will be warmed and for our souls to be drawn to Jesus as we think of the wonderful restoration that is made through him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.